Welcome to a Neon Jazz interview with Kansas City veteran Hammond B3 organ man, Ken Laverne. He recently spoke with Neon Jazz about a large range of topics. From his beginnings at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, playing with Ida Macbeth at a young age, and all of the gigs that he's been involved with over the years, and the musicians that he's played with, and what's going on now in the Kansas City scene, as well as many more topics. Dig it. So let's go ahead and start off with kind of the alpha of your life. Being born and raised in Kansas City, how did this etch your love of jazz? You know, I played in, in, in jazz band in high school, and uh, even at that time started listening to like Count Basie and some of the artists that had had Kansas City careers. Um, and about that same time when I was in high school, I started going out to hear uh, showed locally uh, Casey Parks and Rec used to do Sunday night jazz concerts and I heard you know Dave Brubeck Pat Matheny uh, oh Les McCann um oh, I'm trying to do some brothers that played that show uh, but they did the, the Sunday night shows and had jazz and scratch you hear really a lot of jazz grades and you know when I was just a little bit older started to go to clubs like Design Board and heard Phil Woods and Ahmad Jamal so So what was the first instrument you started playing? Until in the mid 90s, 
Oregon Jazz tried to make a little bit of a comeback. I remember seeing uh, Medeski Martin and Wood at the uh, bottleneck in Lawrence, and he was playing Hammond, Oregon, and Clavinet. And uh, I just got really, just something bit me at that time, and I got really fascinated with Hammond, Oregon, and just really uh, uh, captivated by the sound. And I just, I just, I, I just bought one. I found one. I called my buddy uh, Todd Wilkinson, who had a club the drum room, and he had bought an organ for that. And so he was the only person I knew who bought an organ in recent years, and uh, he sent me to a guy and uh, I bought an organ. And then, you know, pretty soon after that, I quit my day job and I just started really <laughs> being uh, very focused on Hammond organ. The rest is history. Yeah. Uh, I tell you what, who do you like to listen to? Um, you know, as a Hammond B3 player, who do you like to listen to playing that instrument? Well, you know, there's a lot of greats. Um, and, you know, one of the first ones that I, I listen to a chunk is, you know, probably considered, uh, you know, the fountainhead of modern jazz organ and one of the biggest is Jimmy Smith. Yeah. And, and he's certainly amazing. And I'm, I'm, I'm definitely enjoy his stuff um, I kind of my projection was kind of I went to Jimmy Smith and then uh, some of the guys like Jack McDuff and Jimmy McGriff who were contemporaries of him and then I I, got, I really got into Larry Young um, and he had a little bit more modern but she's kind of a post post McCoy Tyner kind of organ player sure um, and, and, and I really got into him I like a lot of the contemporary guys uh, Larry Goldings and uh, Sam Yehel are, are two of my favorites and, and like our group our OJT group I mean we, we do some of those guys arrangements of tunes you know we, and some of the originals too I mean we uh, uh, borrow heavily from some of those uh, organ jazz contemporary groups and I mean I certainly uh, uh, gained a lot by going to hear local organ players and organ's such a physical instrument there's so many things you physically manipulate on the organ uh, the pedals and the draw bars and, and different ways of helpful for me to see somebody play organ and be like, oh, that's how they're getting that sound. Yeah. Um, and so, so going to hear Everett Devan and uh, and Rich Hill and some of those guys, hear them play organ, uh, was very helpful for me. And to see them, because, uh, you know, I, at first I was trying to play all the bass lines on the pedals and, and, and then realized, that, okay, it's a combination of using your left hand and using the pedals to get the bass lines to pop. And, and so hearing uh, local people helped a lot, too. Yeah. You know, speaking of bass lines, it seems like the bass is one of those instruments that people don't think about a, a lot, but it really kind of keeps the glue together for a band. Oh, yeah. It seems to me the Hammond B3 is that way. What do you think the role of the Hammond B3 in a jazz ensemble is? Well, if you're covering, I mean, in most organ groups, you know, the organ player is covering the bass lines, um, and, and that's your number one job. I mean, that becomes the top priority because if that's not happening, you know, good luck with anything else. That, that, and you know, and, and it's different when you're a piano player and you're playing with a bass player. Then the bass player and the drummer kind of have that primary uh, job of keeping the pulse or keeping the quarter note. Uh, and and yeah, when you, when the organ player takes over that role. Uh, of the bass player, then that kind of becomes uh, the top priority. And it took me a few years to, uh, I think, uh, kind of even realize the importance of that transition. 
have a nice, relaxed feeling of the polls, no matter what the tempo is. Uh, and I think that's also kind of what drew me into playing organ and really uh, brought my focus into playing organ was that that responsibility for the bass lines and the pulse, in addition to playing chords and melodies, all those stuff, it just put me right in the moment. You know, I was just right in the moment of playing music, and uh, and, and that's something I really enjoyed. Right on. So you graduated from the Conservatory of Music at UMKC in 89. Talk to me about your career. If somebody wanted to know... What was Ken Laverne's trajectory to today? Give me kind of an overview of where you started and where you're at right now. Well, uh, it was just a little bit before I finished at UMKC, I started uh, playing uh, with the local Kansas City vocalist Ida Macbeth. And, and that was pretty much a full-time gig. We were playing, uh, you know, 15, 20 gigs a month. And so that was my first uh, yeah, kind of full-time jazz gig out of college and that was great it was a, a great uh, opportunity for me and, and I played keyboards for years I, I kind of got out of East for a while I tried to get out and I went back to school and uh, you know, went to law school and then I, after I graduated and, and, and took the bar passed the bars if I worked for a judge uh, on the Kansas Court of Appeals for three years and that's actually when I was working that job as a research attorney on the Kansas Court of Appeals that's when I bought a Hammond organ and uh, you know just spent all my spare time getting that together and about the time I left that job for the field after three years I uh, I worked for a while as an attorney but I just backslid into playing music and uh, after a while I, just, I was so focused on playing music it didn't really make sense to do anything else sure. and, so, and so that that was a big uh, sort of like life thing you know and then since then I, I just uh, focus a lot on the Hammond organ group and I, I work with vocals work with vocals Shoals a lot, and we put out a CD uh, five or seven years ago. Um, and I've worked with David Bassey some, and uh, recently I you know, started working with a vocalist named Molly Hammer. And so, a lot of times, my organ jazz group with uh, Brian Baggett and Kevin Frazee, OJT, we'll just we'll work with a vocalist. And, and it's kind of nice because if it's our group doing it, it's not like a pickup band. It's like, you know, we're a band, we know each other, we know what's going to happen. We have a sort of uh, existing uh, you know rapport about who's going to do what and, and what needs to be said or not said or whatever it's just nice to just kind of take that existing group and, and put it to work uh, with vocalists or horn players or whatever and that's been a big part of the OJT thing has been working both as a trio as an instrumental trio and then working uh, with other uh, featured acts I do some other things now. Just a couple of years ago, I started playing accordion, and I play accordion in a Western swing band called Three Trails West. Cool. And that's been, that's been interesting to learn about Western swing music, which, you know, uh, has a lot, really, it has a lot in common with the, the, the jazz of Count Basie and stuff like that. Right on. That's great. Um, so how many albums have you been on? Um, just kind of give me an overview of how many you've been on. recently um, all the, the, we've got on the, for the OJT band we had our instrumental record uh, and, and then we we had our instrumental record and then we had a, a record we did with a with Bukeka and so those two albums came out just a few years apart um, there's uh, most um, recent 
son is a band called Maria the Mexican. And I'm playing Hammond organ on that record a lot. Uh, Garrett Nordstrom, kind of the songwriter and producer of that stuff, he really likes the Hammond organ. And one nice thing about that thing is it's coming out on vinyl. We've wow. got vinyl records that, which is awesome. That's great. of your trajectory and where you've been I would think being around Ida Macbeth would have been one of the best learning experiences. What was that like? Yeah. Um, I just think she's a great singer. I, 
but it was it was great to get to play there and meet a lot of uh, you know meet a lot of cool people and you know you never know who was going to be in the audience. We had all sorts of celebrities would be in the audience. Barry Gordy or different people would show up at the right gig. On. You know, that's cool. Well, speaking of celebrities, you played with cats like Les McCann and Kevin Mahogany, Cecil Payne. What was it, what's it like to be on stage with uh, those kinds of musicians? The thing with Kevin was early in his career, uh, he was putting together bands here in Kansas City, and uh, you know, he just had such a great, rich voice, uh, you know, just from the get go, and and then was always very serious about his career, and, and I think that's something. You know, with a lot of those people who, uh, you know, have successful careers, uh, you know, you can tell how important it is to them and that they take it, you know, seriously, they're still having fun, but that but, but they're very serious about it and that it's important, it's a priority, and that we're going to do it the best we can. I mean, I think that's something that's common with all those kind of uh, great musicians. Um, you know, uh, Les McCann was, was a hoot. Uh, he, he was really, really nice to work with. Uh, uh, Eric Alexander actually put together this thing where he was taking Cecil Payne um, and some other musicians and, and going around and playing festivals, and we got to play with those guys, and, and that was amazing. And, and Eric Alexander had, had, had kind of, uh, Cecil Payne had been a mentor of his, and then Eric was kind of paying him back and, and helping him uh, uh, Cecil book gigs and stuff and helped him out his career and, and that was really cool to see where Eric Alexander had learned a lot from Cecil Payne and uh, and then was uh, you know sort of uh, returning the favor by helping uh, uh, Cecil's career to be extended. So talk to me about the Kansas City scene these days. How is it doing? It's the best I've seen it in, in you know in, in a long time in recent memory. Um, you know around 2009, 2010, sort of in the back end of the economic downturn, the gig scene started to, especially the jazz scene, started to uh, wane a little bit. It was, it was sort of suffering. And, uh, you know, I noticed, and I do all sorts of gigs, but I noticed I wasn't doing as many jazz gigs, and I noticed there was some downward pressure on the jazz wages, you know. Um and, you know, a, a couple of years ago, it started, the, the, the gig scene started to get better. More people were coming out to hear music, and that, that, that helps the clubs to, to maybe do more shows in a week, have more, you know, do, do music more nights a week. Um, and uh, about a year ago, uh, John Wayne Scott opened the Green Lady Lounge, and, and I think that's just, that's, it's so great. Kansas 
lot of times they want to hear Kansas City jazz. Yeah. And and it's, and, and you know, he realizes that, and I think it's given uh, you know the musicians an opportunity to create something uh, of their own and create something new and and really given that a place to, to grow. And that's, I mean that's been so great for OJT. We've been playing Wednesday nights there, uh, you know, for for almost a year, and and that's just been so great to be in there on Wednesdays and you know like this this new recording we're doing, new standards. We're going, I think we're going to call it New Standards for the Green Lady, where we're, we're taking pop tunes and, and making them jazz tunes and giving them a jazz treatment. Cool. Well, unless you're playing a lot, it's hard to work that stuff up. Because, you know, the first time you play the arrangement isn't going to be the best way. It's going to be the 20th time you play it. Yeah. You know, and things happen, and, and, and things grow and develop. And being able to have a, you know, a gig where you can develop that is just, it's just, it's crucial, you know, for a real group. Absolutely. it seems to me that the jazz scene has been really rich in the last you know number of years and Jardines was kind of a big blow it seems like the karma's kind of turned around and there's a lot of clubs opening up even take five I hear is a great um, oh it's great you know. that's a great venue and I've only been out there a couple of times but uh, Doug and Lori are super supportive of the musicians you know and uh, and, and again they, they really they like the stuff that's happening now you know they're, they're Super willing to uh, to kind of lean forward. It was you know a little more modern groups. They're not afraid to have more modern groups. Uh, uh, one of the groups I play with does a lot of music by Modesty Martin and Wood. And, and, and Lori likes that. You know she she likes to have that band out there a lot. You know and that's awesome. And, and again, there, there, there's you know two people that just really you know love the music and have a passion. And, and, and really supporting the music, you know, because they can have their coffee shop and, and do fine without having music. Um, and so, you know, you can tell that they really have a passion and a love for having the music in their place. And, uh, and then, yeah, that's, that's a great venue. I'm, I'm playing out there a little bit this spring, and I'm looking forward to it because I've only played there a couple times. Right on. So you're a career musician. You've had a long career, and you continue will continue to have a long career. What do you want people to remember you by as you get towards the end of your career? How do they want? How do you? How do you want them to reflect on you and your career? Um, I'm still trying to think of the, my career as like the beginning of my career. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I just 
I want, you know, my my peers and my musician friends to remember me as somebody they can count on, you know, to do what I said I was going to do and have integrity and, and, you know, be in a good place and be ready to have fun making good music, you know? Yeah. That's, that's always been a lot of what's important to me in being a musician is there's just, there's so much fun to have with your friends while you're playing music. And I've never understood the other approach where, you know, uh, uh, people act like, you know, sometimes you see musicians that aren't in a good place and they don't want to be there or whatever. And I just, that always seems so sad to me. It's such a wasted opportunity, you know, to have fun playing music. It's such a gift to yeah. be able to play music. Absolutely. Uh, and, and that's that's a big thing for me. It's just that you know that I want to be remembered as somebody who was, uh, you know, a good side man and a good band leader. You know, I try and do both those things. And being you know, a band leader makes you such a good, more respectable side man because you realize, you know, a lot of the challenges. I, I think I, I'm better at keeping my mouth shut as a side man now than I used to be. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then I get, you know, as far as, um, you know. Uh, I think maybe uh, as far as what people might think, uh, audiences, you know, I I guess just I like the idea that we've tried to take uh, maybe tunes that weren't thought of as jazz tunes and give them a jazz treatment, you know, and I I maybe want people to think of that. And just that I've kind of helped keep uh, the organ jazz genre, you know, current. and 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 uh, I'm hoping to turn out some some more uh, really good organ jazz recordings, and maybe put some out on vinyl. And it'd, it'd be great to be remembered for having a, a good body of of recorded work that has good. You know, so much of the organ jazz thing is just the tone of that band with the organ and the guitar and the drums is getting that tone right. And so it would be great to be remembered for having put out uh, a good body of work of great sounding recordings. Right on. So. What uh, do you do? You live with any regrets? Well, you know, it, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for the path I took. You know. Yeah. So, so no. I mean, everything I've done. There's, you know, if I had stayed in, uh, if if I had stayed in music and hadn't gone back to school. I, I maybe would have had a little more energy to put in things, into things at a younger age. But at the time, I wasn't in that great. I almost had to get out of music uh, for a while uh, to really rediscover why I wanted to be in it, you know. And uh, and and so I don't really, I don't really have any regrets. You know, things have, have uh, taken the path they've taken, and I've learned a lot. Right on. So, if you could get in the jazz DeLorean and go back in time and meet one musician from any era, uh, preferably jazz, who would it be and why? Yeah, I'd probably want to meet Charlie Parker. And why, I guess, just to try and get a handle on who he really was and then maybe understand him a little bit. Uh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, he's... He's certainly, you know, one of the giants. I think the fact that he's from Kansas City is huge. I mean, I I feel his presence here, you know, among the musicians and, uh, and in the scene and just, um, uh, you know, he's, he's come to me in some dreams a time or two. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he's, he's one. It's, it, it would be, 
session in the late 30s, you know, or somewhere Charlie Parker was sitting in and trying new stuff and seeing if it, you know, seeing the reaction people would have to him, you know, uh, like when he got back from one of his trips to New York or uh, from Woodshed down at Lake of the Ozarks. <laughs> you know, I came back to a Kansas City Jam session and was sitting in on Cherokee or whatever. Yeah. Um, that would be pretty cool. That, yeah. I'd, I'd have to say that would be a highlight. So, what was the last song or album you listened to before we talked today? Well, the last thing I've been listening to uh, was the newest Serge AT recording. Um, the, the latest thing besides us, um, I think Bobby Broom, Modern Man, and it's got... Uh, So as we kind of get to the end of our interview here, I want to kind of get to the crux of, of, of who Ken is. Tell me who you are in the length of one tweet. 144 characters, one sentence. Who are you? Kansas City born uh, musician, uh, organ, jazz, piano, uh, accordion, octopus. Uh, <laughs> uh, father, husband, uh, friend. Yeah, that's that's a tough one to try and boil it down. Um, but that's yeah, that's a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, Kansas City, Kansas City organ jazz player, uh, Kansas City jazz musician. I mean, that's that's a lot. The thing about my career is I I just I also play other styles. Yeah, you know, that's that almost you know as a Kansas City musician. That's perfect. You hit it right on the head. Hey, Ken, again, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Continued success, and hopefully I'll run into you out there at some point, live and in person. Very cool. Thank you. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight to the finest players in Kansas City, giving fans all of that jazz. And thanks to Ken for his time and insight into his craft and for giving us all those B3 notes and that dedication to the Kansas City jazz scene. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store, or for all things Neon Jazz, visit theneonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.